good to see all of you out this morning. Here we are, this morning, and God is with us again. He's on our side. God knows what He's doing. We need a visitation. There's another side to every mountain. Isn't that right? The side to the other side of the mountain. If God's going to visit you, you must make a decision to visit Him. Because in one sense of speaking, you know, He's already visited us. Amen. He's already sent His Son. Somebody said, I'm waiting on the Lord. Remember this. He's already came and left, and you missed him. <laughs> He's gone. So if you're waiting on him, you've already missed him. But there's a truth to the fact, too, that God does do significant things at given times because of people's prayer and because of his desire to meet the needs of the human race right. and bring the church back to the place that he wants to bring it to. Right. For instance, you know, at the end of World War II, and Dad Hagen taught yeah. us all this, there was a wave of divine healing that took place. That was God emphasized that He's still a healing God today. Well, God is still a healing God, and we're still running on that past right. Uh, right. revelation that was received by the church because it was getting dark and it was getting bleak during that time, you know, in the 40s, because people had gotten away from the things that was happening in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. There was a, an outpour, and we had significant moves of God, and you had a sprinkling of things happen, happening, but it wasn't on uh, what you would call a nationwide basis or a worldwide scale. But the healing revival actually influenced countries all over the world, and it launched the church into a place that it hadn't walked in before. Right. People just come out of the closet, you know, that had never ministered healing before, and they w witnessed other people ministering healing, getting supernatural results, and they started laying hands on people and getting the same results that other people had. So it was just a healing revival, healing crusade. Well, now I believe that God wants to emphasize His glory and emphasize everything. Oh. Hallelujah. At one time. Hallelujah. He's coming back yes. for what kind of church? Glorious. A glorious church. Yes. And so if he's coming back for a glorious church, by definition, the glory must be in the church. Yes. Isn't that right? So the church is not chairs, carpet, uh, beams, buildings, and lands. The church is... Uh, us, human beings, that's been born again with the Spirit of God inside of us. But remember this, the Lord's not just going to visit the church. The Lord is going to visit not only the church, but He's going to visit the world. Yep. He said He's going to pour out His Spirit on how much? Oh. All flesh. We discovered that yesterday in our studies. He was going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. We looked at uh, Acts uh, chapter 2 or Acts chapter 1, and we discovered that there was 120 people in the upper room on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So God poured out His Spirit. We know on how many people? 120. There was 120. It's not a trick question. It was 120 there in the upper room. How do we know that? By number. They numbered and counted. They said it was 120. And we know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was also in this upper room. And she was filled with the Holy Ghost. I heard a gentleman say, if you want to get a Catholic filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, just show them that Mary went into the upper room and they'll follow her right in there. Because right. <laughs> they say, Hail Mary, Mother of God, have mercy on me. And I, you know, I'm not knocking Miss Mary or anybody else, but you know, you can do that all day long and it's not going to help you. Might as well say, twinkle, twinkle, little star how I wonder what you are. Why? Because it does not line up with the guidelines right. and principles of God's Word. Amen. The Word of God says we pray to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. We don't pray to St. Peter, St. Anthony, St. David. We don't pay it. Don't, it don't do you no good. You know, you right. can pray to me all day long. 
you know, you can bow down and worship me if you want to, but it is not going to do you any good. I, I, can't, I can't help you. Of course, I do try to get my wife to do that every now and then. You know what I mean? And, come on, let's go. It, boy, listen, I, I got chapter and verse. The Bible says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. She said, yeah, but you ain't no Lord. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's not here to defend herself because she would, but uh, she has never failed for it yet. And so the truth about the matter is that God's poured out his glory, Amen. And, you know, and there was 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. We know that because the Bible tells us. But God said that he was not just going to pour out his spirit on 120. He was going to pour it out on who? On all flesh. That's what he said. All mankind. I think the Amplified says, and maybe even in the uh, New King James Version. In fact, I'm trying to transfer over to the New King James Version to get rid of the these thousand does. You know what I mean? But I just hadn't found me a Bible that, that's going to have the Amplified and, and everything in it. You know what I mean? And at one time, without being this thick, where I could preach, but, uh, you know, but uh, you know, the these and the thous and the old Elizabeth, is it Elizabethan? Elizabethan. Elizabethan English. You know, it just don't fit our English. In fact, I don't think there's any English that fits our English, just to be telling you. You know, remember yesterday I was making up words, Dutton, Dutton, you know, Dutton, and I was, uh, I caught myself, you know, but of course you didn't catch me. Yeah, I knew it was a real word. But uh, yeah, Georgia, we could, you know, when I go up north or go into other countries, they go to saying Dutton and Dutton, what? Who's Dutton? You know? And so they catch me and they help me. And, but to find out the real thing. But the 120 was filled with the Holy Ghost. He said he'd pour out his spirit on all flesh. Now there's a truth that uh, through that 120, the spirit has been transferred to others because we know that the, by the laying on of hands, uh, many times the Holy Ghost came on people. Not only by the laying on of hands, but also, remember Peter was preaching and the Holy Ghost fell on all of them uh, that heard and believed. Who was that that he was talking to? Cornelius' household. And the Spirit of God fell on them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues right. as he was preaching. I've had experiences like that before, especially, in fact, I can remember it. It wasn't far from here. It was down in, uh, off 75 down through there somewhere in a jail or a prison I was at. I was uh, preaching at Pastor Larry Moss's church. And we had to go on a, a Sunday morning if I was going to get in there prior to the church and speak to them and then go to the church service. And, and I remember I was preaching. The Lord just was stirred me up when I got up to preach on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I said, Lord, I said, mostly time, you know, you're going in, you're preaching a salvation message and casting the net for salvation. He said, preach on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And while I was preaching... On them, we got down to the end and looked at the clock, and, and I noticed one of the officers come in and motioned at me, and I didn't went past the time I was supposed to be in there, but nobody told me. I just kept going. I guess I like being incarcerated, you know, <laughs> or being in prison. But, but I didn't, nobody told me, but all of a sudden I said, Lord, in my spirit, I said, you're going to have to help me here. I said, I didn't preach the message. I said, I can't have an altar call. I said, if you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, stand to your feet. And I don't know how many stood, whoop, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave utterance. But it, it'll happen that way. We can do it by transferring, by the laying of hands and... God's Spirit just falling on people. But I'm pointing out there was 120 that the Holy Ghost fell upon in the upper room. That was not all mankind, was it? 
No, it wouldn't. I don't even know what percentage it would be, but it would be in the point decimal, some, some, something, zero, 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 something. But it wasn't just a small portion. Now, through that 120, yes, the Holy Spirit was given and passed on even down to our generation, and we believe and receive. But still, I believe there's a greater fulfillment yes. of the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 that Peter referred to that the Spirit would be poured out on who? All flesh. All. And I believe that that fulfillment will be in our era, in our day. The church age started off with an outpouring, but it's going to end with a greater outpouring of the Spirit. And He's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh, <coughs> excuse me, on all mankind, because that's what the Word of God says. And I believe that. Yes, so I believe that Joel chapter 2 that Peter's referring to on the day of Pentecost is partially fulfilled, but I believe that there's a greater fulfillment of that that we're moving into even now. And remember, we said some things about time. I believe it was yesterday morning we talked about time, that some things that God prophesies and declares and decrees, and sometimes even things that we prophesy, that we know is the Spirit of God, that God has shown us. Sometimes we believe that, you know, that they're going to happen the next week because it's so real to us. Or certainly within a year, sometimes these things do not happen for years. Remember the prophecy we read from Dr. Kenneth E. Hagin yesterday was from 1983. He talked about the fire of God being in literal manifestation, not just in the Spirit, not just seeing a vision, but in literal man manifestation. I told about an experience where a pastor in Wichita, Kansas, I've preached in that church. I didn't start any fire while I was there, but, <coughs> but I preached in the church where the fire department came to put out the fire. The flames were coming out of the building, but the building was not burning. I know this pastor personally. I talked to him, and, and I asked him, because I wanted to know, what did you do to cause this to happen? He said, well, the first thing was, I didn't even want to go to church myself that night. Because I didn't be in so much, I was worried I wanted to stay home and rest. But because I was a pastor, my wife made me go. No, <laughs> no, no, he was, they were doing satellite seminars, and Dad Hagen was... Uh, you know, on the satellite seminars. And, and when he went to church, he said, next thing you know, here comes the fire department bursting in the building, you know, telling them to get out. And because the building's on fire and smokes are going everywhere, you know. But it was outside. And, of course, the neighborhood people were looking, and that's who called the police. Yeah. You know, they said, the church is on fire over here. And the people's in it. Don't they know it? And so the fire department rushed down there, and they went out there, and there was no fire. That was nuts. It didn't consume the building. So there is manifestations. But Dad Hagen said in 1983 that we would have the Spirit of God come upon us yeah. and we would have the glory of God on us and yeah. people would even see the fire of God, literal fire of God on people. Right. Now you say, is that far-fetched? Well, it's not far away from Acts chapter 2. Right. It said, there appeared to them cloven tongues like as of fire and it set upon each of them. Yes. Each of them. Right? And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave utterance. So we're in the time that I believe that there must be an outpouring of the Spirit of God, of God's glory. That's the term or definition we'll use for this outpouring of the Spirit. The glory of God to visit the church in our day because it's a necessity that Jesus come back for what? A glorious church, and if he's coming back for a glorious church, then that means the church must be filled with the glory. Another thing we discovered yesterday morning, just covering and backtracking a little bit, another thing that we discovered yesterday morning is if the Lord don't do something, if there is not an outpouring of glory, if there's not a visitation from heaven to the church, 
Just to the church. Yeah, we need it to the world, but we need it to the church today, ladies and gentlemen, more than we do to the world. The church is in a backslidden condition regardless of what we think. I'm talking about not this church. I'm talking about the church world as a whole. People have gotten away from the principles of God's Word. There's no fervor. There's no commitment. There's no fire. There's no zeal. It seems like people are just going through the motions. Well, I, I got to go to church again, or it's the social thing to do, or we got a club meeting when we get there, and we've got to do this, or, or, <coughs> excuse me, or something like that. And that's the only motivation. And so if we don't have an outpouring of God's glory, we're going back to the dark ages in the church. Yeah. We're going back to legalism, socialism in the church, I'm talking about. In the church. Yes, the world needs it just as bad or more so in the church, but the church needs it just as bad as the world. In fact, today it is you can stand a Christian up and you can stand a person that don't even know Jesus side by side and track them and monitor them over a period of time. And I'll guarantee you, about eight times out of ten, you're not going to tell the difference between the person that's not born again and the person that is born again. And that is a sad statement to have to make in the day that we got all the knowledge that we have in the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there's something else. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Yeah, a lot of people get a lot of knowledge and get full of pride. And uh, You know, but listen. Help us, Jesus. And I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not knocking anybody. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just making statements because you can see it yourself. That's why that we must have the glory of God visit the church. The Spirit of God, we must. That is the answer and the solution. It's the only answer. It's the only solution. That's why that the devil is doing his best right now. And that's what I'm going to get to. And that's where I'm headed to. The devil is doing his best right now to drive the Holy Spirit out of church services. I mean, it's going on across this. You've got what you call, uh, what they call in terminology is seeker-friendly. Some call it sneaker-friendly. You know, you want to sneak up on them and, and catch them, you know. And, 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 and listen, I, I'm not knocking anybody in one sense that's doing this. Because I believe their, their motive may be pure in their minds or hearts, you know what I mean? Or how does Brother Hagin say it? Right in your heart but wrong in your head? Yeah. Uh, their heart may be right because there is a hunger. They want to reach people. People want to reach out to people. And so because there has been a lack of the anointing of God in their life for reasons that God knows, you know, not doing things that they should do, then they have to revert to other means to cause things to happen. And when they do that, then guess what happens? It gets into the solical realm. It gets into the fleshly realm. And so you get into a a seeker-friendly, they call it, situation. And the (coughs) seeker-friendly, the bottom line is this, you know, of a seeker-friendly situation. The seeker-friendly, when they say we're a seeker-friendly church, in other words, just come as you are, do anything you want to. And listen, I believe in accepting people on whatever level they're on. God accepted me that way. I accept anybody. I judge nobody. I mean, you know, if they want to come in with red, purple, green hair and, you know, tattooed upside to down, the back side, the butt side, never the other side, excuse me, I'm not cussing to tell you the truth, but it's going on, you know, and if they want to have this and, and that, you know, I accept them, embrace them. 
Because why? We know that God wants to minister to them. I'm not going to tell them you can't come and you can't do this because you don't look my way and you don't smell like I do and you don't dress like I do and you don't act like I do and things like that because you get into legalism that way. God can only change somebody when He's given the opportunity to change them. And in the church is where they're going to get changed. So I believe in, in embracing people and accepting people on the level where they are, are at presently. But at the same time, I don't believe that we ought to stay there. I believe that we need to allow God to deal with people and, and let them talk to people. We don't need to beat people over the head, but I believe that if you're born again, there's going to be some changes that takes place. And we need to give people that opportunity to make those changes. We don't need to be hard and judgmental on people. You know, you know especially, excuse me, baby Christians coming along and things like that because they're going to make trip and slip and fall, you know. You know, when, you, when your baby was little, if you remember, uh, and, and some, you know, still have little children now, if they're setting up the high chair and they got a milk thing in their hand, you know, and they throw it across the room, you're not going to kill your baby because they throw the milk across the room. You know, they're not supposed to, and you're going to train them to do that, but they might not even understand why they've done it. You know, they're just having fun. Wang! You know, they throw the milk can at the cat, you know what I mean, and think it's a game or something. Well, that's the way it is kind of in, in being born again. When people come into the church, you know, sometimes they don't understand everything. They have to grow and develop. But 120 received the Holy Ghost, and the fire of God was poured out on them. Why? Because we got chapter and verse, right? The fire of God poured out on them. But Joel said, and Peter repeated Joel when this experience happened, that the Spirit of God would be poured out on how many? All flesh, we have yet to witness to be part of all flesh, would include not only the church, but also those that are not in the church. God wants to visit this entire world. He wants to visit us in a supernatural way. But we've got demonic forces that does not want us, that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't want us. I'm correcting myself, you know, but doesn't, is that a word? We need to talk to Webster. Is he dead? I'll just show you his grave. His grave. He knows where his grave is, so he's dead. We can't wake him up. We just have to write another dictionary. But anyway, does it? The devil does not want the power of God to be manifested in this day. So what is he trying to do? Drive the Holy Spirit, drive the Holy Ghost, drive the only ingredient that can actually change a human being right outside the church. When the, church, the Holy Ghost is driven outside the church walls and doors, the church then becomes a social club and that cannot change anybody else. It, it may have laws, it may have rules, it may have guidelines, it may have regulations, but the person is not going to be changed in a church where the Holy Ghost is not invited to be there. I'll guarantee you that that you may hear a motivational sermon, you may see an illustrated sermon that will boggle the human mind. But when you get through with all of those things and you walk outside the door, you're the same mule that you was when you walked in the door. Brother Hagin said, taking a mule and putting him in a racehorse barn, giving him racehorse feed, putting racehorse blankets on him, don't change him. He said, you can take that mule and keep him in that barn and feed him with racehorse feed and, and water and, and everything else and put him in the best stall in the land. But on race day, when you bring him out of that barn, that horse barn, and put him in the chute to, to come out on race day, he's going to lope off like a mule because that's all he's going to be. Right. 
You know, in order for a mule to turn into a racehorse, it takes being born again. You've got to be born again. And so until a person is born again, you know, they can, if they come to church a mule, they're going to be a mule when they leave. If they come as a dog, they're going to leave as a dog when they leave. You know what I mean? If they come as a cat, they're going to leave as a cat when they leave. If they come as a messed up, goofed up human being, they're going to be a messed up, goofed up human being when they leave. And they're going to be worse than they were when they came in. Why? Because they're going to be confused. Right. How am I going to do this? I, they tell me I'm, I'm this and I'm that and I'm not. But how am I going to get there? And then it gets into condemnation. It gets into confusion. And then it gets to the point, well, why even try? It's like when they used to come to prison, some of the people would come. and said, uh, once a sinner, always a sinner. You know, you can never overcome sin. You're always going to sin the, the rest of your life. And, of course, uh, with me and my lightning fast convict mind, and this is for I really got with the Lord, you know, and my lightning fast convict mind, I got to thinking, well, why try? If I can't stop myself from sinning, why should I even try? If the power of God is not strong enough to put me over, then why try? I mean, what's the difference between me and that preacher up there? And I went to the preacher and I presented my theory to him. And it made him extremely mad. Because I didn't want to go along because I couldn't see it. I said, I might as well go out and kill, rob, and cheat, and lie, and steal. I said, what's the difference? I knew enough of the Bible just to be dangerous, you know what I mean? The Bible says if you break one commandment, you might as well break them all. I just took advantage of that where you didn't. <laughs> Excuse me. That's the truth. Is if you break one, you might as well break them all. You know, you get into the, oh, I better not get into all that. But anyway, the court systems and all this kind of systems and the judging systems and all this kind of stuff, you know, none of that stuff is really fair. Of course, we have to have courts and systems and judges and jails and protect the laws. But a lot of that stuff is not fair because it's, it's being passed along and enforced by people that themselves are not keeping the law. And that's why it'll never work. And, it, and it's not right. And it's not pure. Because the people that are passing along the judgments, most of them don't do it themselves. And so maybe not on the scale that that individual done it on. Maybe they didn't commit the murder that person did. But the Bible says if you commit adultery, you're just as worse as a murderer. Isn't that right? Excuse me. Amen. Oh, but we better leave that alone. Anybody running for the judge? But, but anyway, <clears throat> but we do have to have laws, and we have to use the best thing we have now <clears throat> to make God's plan take place in the earth. So I believe there's an outpour of the Spirit of God. <clears throat> Brother Hagin said in 2003, Jesus has triumphed. Victory belongs to everyone. To how many? Everyone. To how many? He said, no one should come up empty-handed. This is the Holy Ghost speaking. No one should come up empty-handed, but everyone should walk in full victory. Not partial victory, but full victory. But how do we do that? He goes on to say, commanding and demanding their rights and privileges in Christ Jesus. He said, demanding nothing of the Father. that We aren't demanding of Him. He's the one that made the provision. But, this is a clue right here, how to walk in full victory. But demanding of the devil who's endeavoring to thwart the plan of God, who's endeavoring to keep it from coming to pass, but it'll all come to pass, it'll all come to pass at 
last. But he said here, demanding of the devil who's endeavoring to thwart the plan of God. Now the truth about it is simply this. There are extremes, you know, when it comes to teaching and preaching about the devil. There are extremes when it comes to teaching and preaching about prosperity. There are extremes when it comes to preaching and teaching about faith. There are extremes when it comes to teaching and preaching about righteousness. There are extremes in every area, in any kind of area. But it seems to be that we have more extremes in the area of dealing with devils, demons, and evil spirits than probably we do in anything else to the extent that many people, ministers of the gospel, and I'm not belittling anybody, Stay away from the subject of devils, demons, and evil spirits. Now, I believe, too, that there are evil spirits that try to motivate us and influence us without our knowledge uh, through, you know, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, try to motivate us to keep us from preaching and teaching about the devil and how he has been thoroughly defeated and how we can walk in victory over him if we exercise our authority. The enemy does not want the church today to know that he's at work behind the scenes carrying on his little schemes to get the Holy Ghost out of the church. He don't want the church to know. He doesn't want the church to know. He does not, for those in the city, he does not want the church to know that he's working behind the scenes. He's going about as a roaring lion trying to thwart and stop the plan of God. How do you know that? The Holy Ghost spoke this right here. He right. says, but demanding of the devil who's endeavoring to thwart or stop the plan of God. Who's trying to stop it? The devil. The devil. The devil's trying to stop it. We know that chapter and verse agrees with the prophecy here because certainly we would not accept the prophecy if it would not agree with the Bible. You understand that? It don't matter who prophesies it. It doesn't matter and it don't matter and it doesn't matter. Whichever word's proper in this case. It doesn't matter who prophesied it. I don't care who they are. If it does not line up with the Bible, then we should not embrace it nor accept it. Amen. But in this case, when it says that the devil is endeavoring to thwart, which is stop, I believe is a proper word, the plan of God, <coughs> then we know it lines up with the Bible. Because the Bible says that Satan goes about as a roaring lion. Where is that in 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe? Seeking whom he may devour. In fact, let's turn there. 1 Peter chapter 5. You know, a lot of times here <coughs> at this particular church, I don't read a whole lot of scriptures. We quote them and talk about them and, and things like that. It's because that I've been coming here so much and, and you're so studious and you, you know where these scriptures are before we turn to them. But, and of course, we're in a kind of a different format too. It's kind of a different flow. And so... I may do some things in this type meeting that I wouldn't do in another meeting. Right. When I go into Ramah and speak, I wouldn't do the same thing I do here. Or if I go into another church, I'm going to be speaking in another church tonight. Well, I won't do the same thing, and that's not to belittle anybody or anything, but I'm going to be talking, and we've been together for now, ongoing for this July, seven years. Right. And so it's different, you understand? Right. So I would speak differently to you and talk to you on a different level because we have a relationship that I don't have with a lot of people. I'm not belittling anybody. you got relationships, but you got a close relationship. And you know that we just don't not read the Word because we don't believe it. Yes, we believe the Word. Word in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 
He said, be sober, be vigilant, which simply means be aware, be alert. Because your adversary, now the word adversary, another definition for that word adversary is the word opponent. Another word for the word adversary is the word enemy. It says, because your adversary or your opponent or your enemy, the who? Devil. Devil. He is those things. He is my adversary. He is my opponent. Opponent is one that set himself against me. And then he said, it's your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking him he may devour. So we see here from the scripture that it lines up with what Brother Hagin said. He said that the devil's trying to thwart the plan of God. And that's exactly what's going on. And so what's happened is the devil does his best to diminish the preaching and teaching about our authority over the powers of darkness. And certainly we can't just dwell on the devil and what he's trying to do all the time. There has to be a balance, you know, in everything, especially from a, from a pastoral standpoint. You know, our pastor, they can't just dwell on preaching about the devil all the time and stuff because if you do, people will get lopsided and weird. Because that's usually what happens. And that's why a lot of people stray away from that. Because some of the things about the devil are weird. And weird people get weirder. Is there such a word as weirder? Yeah, we made one today. (laughs) They get more weird when you start talking about these things. Because uh, uh, people want to go off the deep end. But, But there is a real devil. Now the real devil has been really defeated. Because Jesus Christ defeated him. But his defeat will only be a reality in my life. Let me put it like this. Legally, scripturally, the devil is defeated. Remember what my brother said. He said, if the devil has been defeated, what are you running from him for? He has no feet. D-E-F-E-E-T-E-D. He has been defeated. So why run from him? He has been defeated. You said he was defeated. We agreed he's defeated. So every time you think about him, just think about him. He has no feet. He cannot chase you. But legally, scripturally, the devil has been defeated. But experientially, is that a good big word? Experientially, that may not be a reality in your life. It's one thing to know something legally is mine and documented in the Word of God and the principles are laid out for me in the Word of God, but it's another thing for me to actually experience the reality of what God's Word says in my life. And that is, I believe, the struggle, if you would permit me to use that word, of every Christian is getting the Word of God off the pages and getting it into a working reality in their life. And people struggle with this day in and day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. People are struggling with things today that they would struggle with, some from the time that they were little children. They struggle with issues, they struggle with problems. Because why? Because they haven't learned yet how to get the promises of God's Word off the pages and get them in a working reality in their life. Would you like to know how to do that? Let me tell you where to go get their series to do it. RandallGreer.org It's called How to Get the Promises of God to Work in Your Life. 
You can find it's, it's about two or three series. Said, why? Why, Brother Randy? Because I've had to overcome, and I'm still overcoming. I don't claim to have attained, but can you imagine the lifestyle that I come from? Could you imagine what I've had to relearn and, and truths? And, and one thing that I began to study in prison was how to get these promises. It's good to read the Bible. Not more, this just, it gives you so much hope. Oh, man, there is hope for me. You know, I, I have been a failure. I have been a flop. I, you know, I have goofed up. I have blown it. I have messed up. And then when you read God's Word and it begins to become alive to you, it brings hope. Oh, man, that, look at what this is. Oh, this, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. Uh, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Do you know why that most people don't experience no more victory than what they experience right now? It's because they're not believing for any more victory. The promises don't work for you because they're legally yours. The promises work for you for only one reason. Because number one, you accept them and believe them as truth. Number two, you act on them. And that is something I do. The Lord Jesus Christ did not force me to confess Him as my Lord and Savior. I had to make the decision that I wanted to receive Jesus Christ. Remember the story I tell about old Ted McGinnis, one of my best buddies when I was in prison. The start, he was in for first-degree murder. <clears throat> they chopped people up with axes. Excuse me. Yeah, this is one of my best friends. <laughs> but let me tell you how he became my best friend. He was involved in the underworld in prison. He had no hope of ever getting out. In fact, he had had life without parole, and they commuted it down to, I mean, had the death sentence, they commuted it down to life without parole, and he was there for the rest of his life. And... and uh, I'd witness to him. God would just put it in my heart to go to this guy and witness to him. And, of course, he was all against it and loudmouthed, big, boisterous kind of guy and heavy-duty, you know, heavyweight kind of guy. But one day I was sitting in the prison chapel. I was sitting up on the portable baptismal pool. You know, in the prison you don't have swimming pools. Not the one we was in anyway. But they had a portable baptismal pool that you'd fill up, you know, and get down in there and the chaplain would dunk you in and everything. I was sitting up on top of that, and old Ted McGinnis come walking in the chapel. My first uh, reaction to him walking in was shock, because he didn't come to the chapel, you know. And we're just sitting up there, Christian brothers just getting away from all the stuff in prison, talking, discussing scriptures. And he walked up to me and said, hey, man. I said, uh, yeah, what is it, Ted? He said, uh, I want to get saved. I want to see if it's Jesus y'all talk about. I mean, just like that. I mean, it wasn't, you know, and I thought, well, I said, oh, Ted, I said, yeah, you don't want to receive Jesus. You know, I, I tried to talk him out of it. If somebody has to talk you into it, the devil will talk you out of it. I found that out in prison. I tried to get people not to accept the Lord. I, don't put me on your witnessing team now. And, but sometimes I found out there's a reverse psychology in that. You know what I'm talking about? But also, I wanted to know what they were committing to. Most people today just pump, you know, listen, most people don't even know the devil exists until they get born again. And then all of heaven is gone. (laughs) 
I won't say the other words. But anyway, and all comes against them. You know what I mean? And then they discover the devil exists, and then they come and say, oh, I don't want nothing to do with this. You know, if you accept Jesus Christ, let me tell you right up front, if you don't want a challenge, if you don't want a test, and you don't want a trial, don't sign up for this. Go on about your business and don't even get involved in it because it's going to goof your life up. I'll guarantee you. It's going to turn your world right side up. But in the process of getting it right side up, it's going to turn it upside down. It's going to shake everything in your life, everything you've ever known, everything you ever thought about, every habit you ever had is going to come to the surface. Every demon has ever chased you, he's going to come and bring his brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. He's going to come. You still want to be a Christian? Let me get some papers and let you... <laughs> but, you know, and I don't try to paint, you know, just a bad picture, but a lot of times, you know, I think we just, you know, you just receive Christ, everything's going to be easy. Well, there's a truth that Christ helps us, but sometimes you're going to be challenged. Right. There's challenges that you're going to face. There's opposition. Just because you receive the Lord don't mean, like Granny used to say, that everything's going to be hunky-dory overnight. Hunky-dory, is that a word? Anyway, Granny used to use one. It's a good word. You're, you're going to be challenged. I mean, there's going to be what I think we've called it a honeymoon period where it seemed like there's anything you pray and whatever you say, just boom, boom, boom. But then all of a sudden, boom, it's over with. And the real world faces you. So first thing I've done is try to talk old Brother Ted out of it. I said, Brother Ted, I said, you don't really want to receive God. I said, you know, I think you're just playing. I did. I really did think he was playing. I said, are you sure that you want to commit to this? Are you sure that you want to uh, extreme? He said, look here, man. He said, I'm not playing. He just had a sober look on his face. He said, I'm not playing. He said, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I thought, well, this guy's for real. I said, you sure you want to go through what I've been through in here? He said, yes, I'm sure. And he said, I want you to pray with me. I said, come on. So we went down to the front. And I said, kneel down here in the floor. I didn't know if he'd kneel or not. But he just kneeled, flopped right down there. Just obeyed me. Not that you got to kneel, you know. But I just thought, well, let's get him. And so when he kneeled, I, I hit the concrete beside him. And I got my Bible out. And I first took him to the Scriptures, and I showed him what the Scripture said, and showed him how, specifically Romans chapter 8, I mean Romans chapter 10, verse 8, so if you confess Jesus Christ your Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you shall be saved. And I, I talked to him about making a commitment. Now this is a lifestyle, a commitment that you're making from this time forward, you're making a decision that you're going to receive Christ. Yes. He prayed, did not shed one tear. I mean, there was no emotion whatsoever. When we said amen, he got up. He looked the same as he did when he got down there. I mean, there was nothing, not a tear, not emotion. And some people do get emotional, you know. But there was no emotion. And I was thinking in my mind, well, I don't know if he got anything or not. But guess what? He became one of the strongest Christians in that church. I mean, in the prison that was there. He became a leader in the prison. God raised him up. Well, that's the same thing that happened to Saul. Remember? Saul was adamantly opposed to Christianity. But once he got born again, he became a leader for all Christianity. 
In fact, we read his writings and read some of the things he says right here in the Word of God because Paul was that way. But there in prison, Ted that was opposed to everything to do, he laughed and mocked at the Christians and, and everything because there was a lot of goofy stuff going on. There were people that would, you know, act like they were Christians in order just to get, you know, a special privilege to come to the chapel, but that's the only reason they were coming there. And they would go out and live like the devil. In other words, in this sense, that live like the devil in this sense that you knew they didn't have anything because they didn't practice what they were preaching to everybody else or talking to everybody else when they got down into the dormitories and the cell blocks. They just didn't line up. And so it became a, a game for people you know, to play in order to get out of their cell block or cell or something just to be able to come to the chapel. And, but when Ted McGinnis got born again, Ted McGinnis wasn't that way. He became a leader. And in fact, I remember the Holy Ghost came on me. In fact, I could take you to the chapel. I assume that chapel's still there at Holman Prison. It's where the life without pro, death row, electric chair, all that was there. And I was there in that prison because they assumed that I would be there for the rest of my natural life. Remember what they told me. You'll be released from prison on pro when? In the month of what? The month of none. That's what they told me. Remember I got excited until I went and found a calendar and I discovered there's no such month as a month of none. And, uh, but I was sitting in this prison where they were going to house me for the rest of my natural life. And rightfully so because I'd broken the laws of the land. But God's mercy intervened in my behalf. Thank God and set me free. And I remember the Spirit of God coming on me. And I prophesied in that prison. I remember standing up and prophesying. Uh, Ricardo Cook, he was a pastor. So I raised my hand, and he acknowledged me. He said, yeah, Brother Randy, what is it? And of course, Pastor Ricardo Cook, he had the death sentence, got it commuted down to life without parole, and then he got it commuted to life, and then he was released, and now he works for the state of Alabama in the prisons systems Praise department. In the state government itself, he does. But this is what the Lord said through me during that time. I read some scriptures out of the Bible and, and different things, but I ain't got time to go into all that. But anyway, the prophecy came out that the true sons of God, regardless of their sentence, would be vindicated because God was going to rescue them and He was going to cause them to walk out of those prisons. Ricardo Cook walked out of it, and he's up there working in the state of Alabama and the government right now. Ted McGinnis, remember he had life, uh, death row, got it commuted to life without pro, got it commuted to life, and guess what? And they chopped up people, listen. And I'm not saying that's right, don't get me wrong, but God's mercy came to work in his life, and he's out now preaching the gospel and telling the truth about Jesus Christ. And then here I come. I walked out of there, and I'm standing here right now. I'm in this church right here today. What is it, February the uh, 9th of 2007, on my way to heaven because the Spirit of God was moving. We had a group of guys in that prison that decided they loved God more than anything else. And we started seeking with God. Does that mean we're perfect? No. But that means we gave ourselves to God. Prayer, study, and meditation of the Word. And by doing so, we absolutely shut the door to the devil in our life. We cut out everything that he could do. Because the Bible says, remember, we read here in 1 Peter chapter 5, <coughs> excuse me, that the devil goes about as what? A roaring lion seeking me may devour. But we close the door to the devil. 
Remember Ted McGinnis. He closed the door to the devil. And he's out of prison today. And I believe that God rescued him. And I believe that God will rescue anybody that will totally and completely give themselves over to them. But so, Brother Randy, I know some people that got born again in prison and they were executed. Well, I don't understand that. I don't know everything. I don't know why some people are not released and some people are. I don't know. The secret things belong to God. But I do know through the prophecy that came forth, in fact, I remember it was so strong on me in that uh, prison when I prophesied that. It was with fear and trembling. In fact, I was weak when I got through because the anointing was so strong and I had to sit down and nobody in the church because it was such a bold prophecy that came forth in this little inmate church and there's probably 25 or 30 of us in there in this chapel that nobody said anything for five to seven minutes. Mm-hmm. They sat there and they thought about it. That, that's, there's no way that can happen. But some of the same ones by their own admission that thought that I had went off the deep end are now outside in the free world. But it wasn't me, it was God. God had decreed a thing, and when God decrees a thing, it's going to happen. And I'm here to tell you, He's coming back for what kind of church? Glorious church. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, in the natural, now some of these things that happen in these people's lives that I'm telling you about, it didn't happen overnight. In fact, some of them, it took years for it to take place. In Ted's uh, situation, I think it took him over 12 years, but he got out. Ricardo Cook. It took him many, many years, about 15 years, but he's out today. But he would have never been out. He was supposed to be electrocuted on death row because it was death by electrocution back then. But God began to work. God poured out His Spirit. God glorified Himself, and He's still getting glory from these situations even today. Praise God. Amen. Isn't God good? God is a good God. And so God is going to visit the church. He's going to visit the world. And His power and glory is going to be poured out. We do, and this is we got into talking about this, that the enemy is the one that's trying to thwart, Satan is trying to thwart the plan of God. He goes about as a roaring lion. We were talking about the promises of God and how people had conflicts in their life because so many people, you know, read the promises of God's Word and just wish that that could be true. And again, uh, uh, the reason I was telling you about the, the CD series that I got is not to bait you or just to get you to go to my website. That would be a wrong motive. That's all wrong. It's just because I don't have the time this morning to teach all the principles that you're going to learn from that. It really is not a lot of principles. It's just the how-to to, to, put, them to put, put them together. The book of my life story, you know, is more than a life story. It's a how-to manual. If you read my life story, even though it's in story-type format, you'll find out exactly what I've done. Because I tell exactly in detail what I've done to change circumstances and situations in my life. Now, the reason I've done those things is because I was led by the Lord in prayer to do those things while I was in prison. And God began to work in my life, even to the point of how to believe God to get out of prison. The promises of God do not come to pass in your life or my life just because they belong to me. The promises of God are just because they're written in the Word of God. I wish we could just open the Bible and find a promise and just say, well, He said it, you know, and it's over with. But the truth about the matter is, is that God doesn't force His promises on anyone. He never forced me to get saved. 
You know, why I got, we call it getting saved. Some call it getting born again. You know, whatever term, analogy you want to use. But the Lord did not force me to get born again. When I got born again, if because that I made a choice, I came to a decision. And I'll tell you what brought me to that decision is I got tired of being what I was. I got tired of living the lifestyle I was. I got tired of being a drunk and a drug addict and an alcoholic. I got tired of robbing, cheating, lying, and stealing. I got tired of every time I come, you know, especially even around some of my family members. My mother and daddy never forsook me, thank God, but they was wary of me. I got tired of every time I went to my, some of my kinfolks' house, they'd shut the doors and hide the kids. Act like we're not here, you know, because they never knew what I was going to do. I mean, I'd give you the shirt off my back if I was sober. But if I was high on drugs or alcohol or in one of my stupors, drunken stupors in state, because there was times I would do things and I'd be high for a week and I wouldn't even know what I'd done or where I was at. And people would tell me later and I couldn't even believe it. Couldn't even believe some of those things now because I'd be so out of my mind. And I'd be, get up on amphetamines, which is speed. You know, and, and, and I'd start speeding and I could get out on this stuff for about seven days before I'd crash. They call it crashing at the end because your body physically cannot take it. But 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I'm in the wind doing something. I got tired of doing that. I got tired of being what I was. And I made the decision that I wanted to change. When I made that choice and made that decision, still the Lord didn't make me confess Him as my Lord. What I had to do was I had to go to to the Lord on my own and I had to ask the Lord to forgive me and ask the Lord to accept me and I accepted Him as my Lord and Savior and I became born again. Why? I acted on the promises of God. And it's the same way today. Now the enemy, Satan, does not want you to act on the promises. And let me tell you another thing that's under attack greatly in the church world today. This is something that's under attack greatly is the preaching and teaching about faith in God's Word. There is. And many people say, that's old hat, it's washed up, that was a fad, that was a phase, that's something that Kenneth Hagin started. You know, he started what they call the faith movement. No, Kenneth Hagin did not start the faith movement. Now there is another man that is guilty, I'm telling you guilty, of starting the faith movement. And if anybody needs to have books, bad books written about them and bad things said about them and TV shows bad about them, then this man does. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and I'll tell you this man's name. This is a man that started the faith movement. It's not Kenneth E. Hagin. But they say that faith is a fad. It's a passing phase. You ought to come out. No, it's not. Faith is a lifestyle that's lived by the Christian every day. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For those that come to Him must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is an important subject in the Bible. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we're discovering the guilty one for starting the faith movement. 12, verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, that's the guilty party because he's going to admit to it right here, the author and the finisher of our doubt and unbelief. He didn't say doubt and unbelief. He said it's the author and finisher of our what? Faith. So who's the one that started us on this journey? Who's the one that's going to finish us on this journey? So Jesus is guilty of starting the faith movement. He said Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So... Preaching and teaching on faith is under great attack by the devil throughout the body of Christ. Because God knows, the devil knows, and everybody else that knows the Bible knows, that if you're going to be successful, the only way you're going to do it is by faith. Turn to 1 John somewhere. We're going over there. Who knows where I'm turning to? 1 John what? Tell me. 1 John 5. We'll know when we get there. 1 John 5. 1 John 4. Let's start in verse 1 of 1 John 5. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, I'll guarantee you one thing, they are what? Born of God. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. And everyone that loveth him that begot, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God does what? Overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. How do we overcome the world? Even our faith. So how are we going to be victorious in life? Through faith. Jesus is guilty of starting the faith movement, not Dad Hagen. Dad Hagen was not the father of faith. They called uh, Apostle Hagen, I mean, uh, what's his name? Wigglesworth. He called him the Apostle of Faith. And in one sense of speaking, yes, you can say that they both were men of faith and taught us faith, but ultimately they were only repeating and parroting what Jesus had already taught. That's what they were doing. They renewed a doctrine that had been lost to the church. Faith, I believe, is a Bible doctrine and truth that needs to be taught on a continual basis. Why? Because without faith, you cannot please Him. The way into Christ is by faith. So, we're talking about, remember, how Satan is trying to thwart the plan of God. So, he's coming against the Holy Ghost in the church. Remember, we talked about that how he's trying to push the Holy Ghost outside. And the, the churches are called, a lot of these churches, they, by their own terminology and definition, are called seeker-friendly churches. In fact, many churches are going away even from the name church in their, uh, what they call it, the name of their church. They're taking the word church out. You know, and because they don't want to be known as a church that has the Holy Ghost and stuff in it. Yeah, this is a, a thing that's going on across the country now. To get away from the word church totally, and I'm not saying that getting away from the word church in your, you know, what's your title of your, what do you call it? 
the name of your church is. I'm not saying it's sin or anything like that. But when it goes to the extreme, that the reason that you're getting rid of that name, I mean, you could call a church Holy Spirit Center, you know, whatever you want to do. I, I, you know, I, I'm not saying, but if you're using it and removing the name church just for the single motive to get away from the fact, well, we don't have that Holy Ghost stuff in our church. We are, we are a seeker-friendly church, and you can come to our church, then everything behind that motive is wrong. And the enemy, there's a great move on today. Why? Because they're trying to push the Holy Ghost outside the door because we live in the information society. Many things today, we live in what they call, remember I got on this the other morning, you know, I got some pet peeves and this and I have to watch myself, you know. But we live in the sight and sound generation and I'm not against sight and sound generation. It's a, a wonderful, you know, it's a great blessing, but it's also a big curse. You know why? Because the Bible says this, you walk by faith and not by sight. And if you get visually oriented and geared to seeing something visually all the time, then it's going to take you away from walking in the Spirit. I've proven it in my own life. You, it will. It'll take you away. If you have to be visually motivated, because God wants to give you visions, He wants to give you dreams, but He wants them to come through your Spirit. He wants to communicate with your spirit. God is a spirit, and He will give you the vision. He will give you the dream. But if you're constantly being bombarded by visual sight, you know, and they're having to get things to you that way, well, it's a tool of the enemy, ultimately. And listen, it's the biggest blessing that we've ever had to have the sight and sound generation, but it's also the biggest curse because I can see where it's going out yonder. I'm a seer. I can see where it's going. I can tell you where it's headed. The enemy, everything in this world system is designed, the cosmos is designed by Satan to take you away from God. And because Satan just don't, can't come up because we know better and just slap us and take our pacifier out of our mouth because we're bigger than he is, we can put our pacifier back in if we want to. You know what I mean? But anyway, just, he just don't come up and all of a sudden zap us with this. He just about a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here, and a little bit there, until finally he's got you in a place that now he can control you. So I'm not against sight and sound. I'm not against the information age used properly. I believe it's fine. But if that's all you are on, and all you're geared to, and all you're doing is uh, trying to motivate somebody through the sight and sense realm, then you're taking them away from the Word of God and listening to the Spirit of God inside of them. Because I'm telling you, what if you get on a deserted island and you don't have no sight and sense no more? You better know the Holy Ghost and learn to listen to Him. And so it's kind of like this. Satan just don't all come in at once, you know, because we wouldn't let him. We're, we're more intelligent than that just to let him to come into the church and just boom, all of a sudden bang, and get us all to backslide and turn away from God. So what he does, he works on the church for years by bringing things in the world system into the church and then the world, you know, and I said this yesterday, and I'll just say it again. The world system has dictated how we're supposed to have our church services. We go to the world because we know all these gurus and boo-roos and everybody's made this million dollars and a trillion dollars and this dollars and this dollars and say, what can we do to build our empire? Well, he says, well, if you want this reaction from this group of people, this age group and everything, then you've got to take this action. 
And so we start taking their actions and bringing them into the church to get a specific reaction from the people. Well, that's wrong. The only reaction that we should be getting in church is preaching and teaching the Word of God and not what some guru said over here, <laughs> excuse me, somewhere. And I'm not saying that we can't learn principles from people, but I'm here to tell you every principle that we operate from right. in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ right. must have its origin in God's Word. Right. It's got to have it. Yeah. If it don't, we're getting away from the plan of God. And remember, the devil just don't jump on the church and all of a sudden he's got us and we're all backslid. No. He works on us for years. A good example. You want a good example? Does anybody remember a date called September the 11th? What do you remember about that date? You can't pass this for me fail this test. What do you remember? Bombs, terrorists running to buildings and all this kind of stuff. But let's analyze that. Did all of that happen and be planned that one day? What happened? Over a period of time, people infiltrated this country behind the scenes. Some of them may be illegally, some of them may be legally. Passports. They went to flight schools to learn how to fly these airplanes. They planned this thing out, methodically plotted this thing out. I don't know how long it was plotted. If anybody knows, you can tell us. But they plotted this thing. They planned this thing. They worked towards this. Why? Because they had one goal. You know what Satan's goal is? To get us away from God. To get you out of the Word of God. He wants you to make, to make you think that the world has the answer and solution to every problem you have. He wants to make you think that some guru over there that wouldn't know the Holy Ghost as Brother Hagin would say coming walking down the aisle with a red hat on with a red cape and doing cartwheels and flips wouldn't even know the Holy Ghost himself is trying to tell you what to do to get out of the dilemma you're in. You know, we don't need that. We need everything we preach and teach today needs to be founded and based in and from principles out of God's Word. If we get away from God's Word, you say, Brother Randy, you sure are hard. No, this is the Holy Ghost. Yes, it is. I'm not hard. I'm being honest. It's the Spirit of truth. The Bible says, when the Holy Spirit has come, He will lead you and guide you into all truth. And this is what the truth of it is. We need to stay on the Word. And I said this because I've proven it in my life, and I prove it time after time. The closer that you can live to God's Word, the more of God's power that you're going to have in your life. I've proven it. You just start walking in line with God's Word. And the devil will have to leave you alone. Because the Holy Ghost will give you that ability. Nobody can obey the Bible on their own. It takes the Holy Ghost living inside of us. But the more you give yourself to God's Word, the more you just say, Lord, here I am, and and make yourself available to Him, He's going to help you to live out the Word of God in your life. And so we do have that dilemma going on now where the enemy is putting pressure on the church. It's seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And listen, I can see the other side of this mountain. Remember we talked about Bible truths. You can climb up one side of the mountain and preach and look off and, and see it. And what the vision or the sight that you're seeing is right and true because you're on that side of the mountain. But you go on the other side of the mountain you can see another truth. Well, the other truth, the other side to this mountain about that, the gurus and the world dictating to what we're going to preach and teach in the church, I believe this is how that came about. It's because there has been a lack 
of the power of God. There's been a lack of commitment in people. There's been a lack of motivated Christians. There's been a lack of zeal. It's like this, people are lost. They don't know where to go. And, and those that's in leadership is doing their best. And it's not all of them, because, I mean, we've got good godly leaders that believe in God and everything. So we're not condemning everybody or anything or condemning nobody, put it that way. But what happened is I believe that they're, they're, they're maybe right in their heart, but wrong in their head. That'd be the best way to put it. I don't want to condemn anybody. Why? Because they're trying to find a solution. They're trying to look for an answer. And it seems to be, based on what they're hearing and seeing from somebody else getting some results, that the quickest way to bring a solution to the dilemma in most people's lives and their leadership position is to take these things that the gurus of the world are saying and bring them into the church. And then that seems to bring a little bit of change for a temporary amount of time. But I'm here to tell you, that's not the way that we should go. The only thing that's going to change the human being on a continual, long-lasting basis is the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's only one place that that can be found. That's when leadership goes before God and begins to seek God and say, God, I do, something needs to be done, but I don't know what to do. Remember when Dad Hagen pastored that church that he went into, remember? He said it was a goofed up as mess. He said it was divided. People were fighting one another, you know, or, or you know what I'm talking about, <clears throat> against each other. The church, I think, was split, wouldn't you say, right down the middle, and half of them sat on this side, and the other half sat on this side. These over here were opposed against them, and them over there opposed against that. <clears throat> the board members of the church, you know, were fussing and fuming. And so what he done is he, did, he went to uh, find this guru that knew how to... Uh, you know, motivate people. He got all their books on self-help technology, you know, and, and self-help, and he read them all. He studied them all. And then he got up and started telling them, if you'll take this principle and do this principle. No, he didn't do all that. You know where he went? He went to the Lord. He said, Lord, right. something needs to be done. But I don't know what to do. Lord, something needs to be said. But I don't know what to say. When you come to the Lord in your inadequacies, He fills those things with Himself. Amen. You can't do it by yourself. But we've become the generation that we don't need God. Remember, I went to a church growth conference, and I'm not against going to things that will help you or anything. I'm not against anybody. And remember, David Savage was with me. We were leaving the conference. I went because I was invited to... And he invited me to come. Come on, Randy. Come on, come on, come on. Come to my bed. I said, okay, I'll come. Anyway, David Savage and I went. We're leaving. And he said, Brother Randy, he said, what do you think about that meeting? I said, oh, I didn't want to tell him, you know, because I didn't want to talk bad about nobody or nothing. And I wouldn't doing that. And I said, no. I said, why you ask? He said, because you've been too quiet. He said, normally you'll say something or something. You know, he'd been working with me for quite a few years. And he said, normally you'll say something. Or, or do something. Or he said, but you hadn't said anything here. I said, oh, everything's all right. You know, I just, he said, no. He said, he said, just tell me. He said, if there's something, he said, I believe I'm picking up something. He said, but I, I want you to, to tell me. And I said, well, do you really want to know? He said, yes, I really want to know. <laughs> yeah, are you sure? You really want to know? He said, yes, tell me. I said, I'll tell you what I learned at that church growth conference. He said, what? I said, I learned that you do not need God to build a church. And that's what I learned. 
that's what I learned. I learned about all kinds of things to implement in kind of ways. I learned about how a particular people group thought. I learned to do demographics studies. And, I, and, listen, and there's a truth to all that. Don't get me wrong. Amen? There's a truth maybe to all that. Y'all take care of that and help me with it. But, but, you know, there was nothing really talked about where you just go to God and say, God, what do I do? And I'm not saying that there's not things that you implement. I'm not saying that there's not action that should be taken. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, but it comes where? From the Lord. That's right. yeah. And when you do that, then things are, are going to take place over a period of time. Glory to God. So we know the enemy is trying to thwart or stop the plan of God. He's trying to, he's coming against the Holy Ghost in the churches. Isn't that right? He's coming against the outpouring of the glory of God. That's what we're talking about. He's trying to push it out. He's coming against the teaching and preaching on the devil himself and how the devil operates. He's coming against that. He don't want people, there's a lot of people who don't even believe the devil exists in, in so-called churches of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And then he's coming against the preaching and teaching on the faith message. There's a big push. I mean, even in the circles that I travel in, you know, people even laugh at. I had one minister laugh at me. Just laugh right in my face. Of course, said, you still preaching that old mess? Yeah. And this was a Remy graduate, too. RMAI card-toting, ordained minister. Saying, you still preaching that old? He said, why you got to do that? Of course, he was going to some thing to learn how to be the CEO of his church. Chief, ex chief executive officer. I looked in the Bible. I'm telling you the truth about it. And I'm just as kind as I can. But I looked in there and tried to find that chief executive officer. And I couldn't find it. It said God gave gifts unto men. First, he gave chief executive officers. No. First, he gave what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He didn't give a chief executive officer. But see how subtly... And seductively, Satan can get people off the truth. Right. Just he just you know, when you get to go into things that's not don't line up with the Bible. I don't care what the title is. If it's not in here, and you're not learning about that, then in the end, it's going to take you away from everything to do with God's word, and you're going to become so natural and so natural minded. But guess what? We're not going to do that. Isn't that right? Amen. We're walking with God. We're contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saint. And let me close by making this disclaimer. Can I make a disclaimer? This disclaimer. That don't mean that I'm the only one. Or you're the only one. Right. Or we're the only one serving God. Or we're the only one that's got it right. Or we're the only one that's going to heaven. And everybody else is wrong but me. I'm the only one that's right. No, that's wrong too. There's a lot of other people that are going the right way. There's a lot of people around the world that's going the right way. There's a lot of people that's going to heaven. There's a lot of people that's doing the right things. So we don't want to get in the mentality of thinking that, that it's me. Because why? Because if you get into that mentality, and that's why I, I check myself. That's what I'm doing. It, because I saw this. It's kind of like pride. When you get to a little knowledge starts coming to you. Remember, knowledge puffeth up. But love edifies. I don't say things, and I'm not saying things this morning, and I pray you receive it that way, to condemn. But I say it in love to edify, to build up, to let you know 
that the way you're going is not wrong. The principles that you're following in God's Word is not wrong. Amen. The pressure is on the church, ladies and gentlemen, to go every way but the Word's way. Right. And what I'm telling you, and the reason I'm telling you this, is to let you know that you're not wrong. Amen. You're doing it right. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season, Amen. you're going to reap Amen. if you faint not. Amen. I mean, in the, in, in the interim process here, sometimes we get in a lull. It looks like things are not working, but God is working all yes. the time in yes. our behalf. Yes. If you'll stay with what's yes. right, if you'll stay with the Word of God, if you'll stay with the Holy Ghost, if you'll stay with God's power, if you'll stay with prayer, you're going to come out on top. Hallelujah. In the end, you're going to come out on top. It kind of analogy that will go with this. Remember uh, that Dad Hagen told Mom Hagen something one time. Dad went to a convention and he didn't even have the money to buy, uh, pay for a hotel. And so in this particular denomination, I assume it was the Assemblies of God because they used to be in the Assemblies. Right. They had what they call a benevolence fund. If you got there <clears throat> to this, uh, what do they call it, convention, right. and they didn't have the money to get your own hotel room, you could go back and they had people that would house you or either, or, or you could either get the money to get a hotel and food and all that stuff. Well, he had to go back there. Right. And while he was on the way back there, a pastor came up and talked to him. And said, where are you going, Brother Hagin? He said, well, I'm going back here to Benevolence thing, and, you know, because I, I don't have no place to stay or nothing. And gets a place to stay. And he said, oh, no. He said, don't do that. He said, you come, you and your wife come and stay at my house. He said, we're blessed. And he said, they got out there, and, you know, and the guy was driving a nice car. And then Ron was driving a nice car. He was driving the old faith mobile, you know. And they got to, over to his house and, and got in there, and the, the pastor's wife started showing Mom Hagin her uh, mink coat or something, or what was it? Something, something anyway, uh, a mink coat. And Mom Hagen didn't even have a coat. She had to borrow one, I think, from her sister or somebody to come even to this. And she got to cry, you know, in, in the room because this pastor, what he had done during the war, there were some jobs that had become available that was paying just exuberant salaries for that day. And so he started working, and there's nothing wrong with working. You understand? There's another side to everything. But this pastor started working just to make the money and not support the church. And so what Dad Hagen told Mom Hagen was, he said, Honey, he said, don't worry about it. He said, you just stay with me. And he said, you'll be blessed. And he said, you'll not only have a mink coat, but you'll have a mink coat full length for every day of the week. She stayed with it. Wiped her tears away. Stayed with him. And guess what? Mama Hagen has got a mink coat full length fur. Stoles and hats and everything goes with it. Every day of the week. But you know where it started? It started because of a commitment years ago that Dad Hagen said that I'm not going to violate what I know. Now is it wrong to work? No. If you need to build tents, build tents. I built the tents. You've built any tents lately? Well, there's nothing wrong with it. There's another side to every mountain. There's nothing wrong with it. There's a time coming that, that, that we're coming out. But the point I'm making is simply this. Because Dad Hagen stayed with the truth. He came out being blessed. He didn't do it the world's way. He went God's way. In fact, what he said about that pastor was, not to demean him, was that he died prematurely. You know, and, and that's what happened. Well... I don't know about you. I want to stay with what's working. Amen. 
what you're doing is not wrong. What you're doing is right. And the reason I say these things is not to condemn other people. Even people that's doing those things, I'm not saying it to condemn them. I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I believe they're right in their heart, but wrong in their head. That's just all I can say. Because they're looking for a solution. But the solution is found in God's Word. Stay with the truths that got you to where you're at. And these truths that got you to where you're at is going to take you to where you need to go. And remember this in closing. And I'm making this disclaimer. It's all disclaimers. Not everything in God is instantaneous. Not every victory in God is overnight. Not every victory in God is every week. Sometimes there's a process that we go through. But we just stay with it day in and day out. We walk with God's Word. If we make a mistake, don't beat yourself over the head because the Lord's not beating you over the head. Get it right. Get back on track and say, God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to do what's right. And you're going to come out on top. You're not wrong. Charity, I mean, knowledge puffeth up. You know, it gets the big head filled with pride. But love does what? It edifies. And that's what I've been speaking from love today by the Holy Ghost to edify, to build you up, to charge you up, not to put anybody down, not to give you ammunition to go out and beat somebody over the head with. No, we're going to love people with the love of God that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Isn't that right? Well, glory to God, I don't know about you. Brother Hagin said he preached himself happy. Well, I preached myself happy. Just letting myself know that I'm going the right way. Just don't give up. Just stay with it, and I'm going to come out on top. Well, let's take about five, ten minutes.